Digital Health Unplugged. You're listening to our February news debrief, where we will be discussing some of the biggest stories of the month and the impact that they're likely to have. I'm Andrea Downey, Senior Reporter for Digital Health, and joining me today are Hannah Crouch, Digital Health's Editor. Hello. And John Hoeksma, Digital Health's Editor-in-Chief. Hello. And as usual, it's been a busy month here at Digital Health. We're all gearing up for Rewired, which is in a week's time now, so if you haven't registered for that, there's still time. You can register right up until the evening before, which is the 2nd of March, or you can even pop down on the day and register at the door. We've also had a few big announcements coming through, the latest being NHSX naming Natasha Phillips as their new Chief Nursing Information Officer, and she is the first National Chief Nursing Information Officer that we've had. Natasha was Digital Health CNIO of the Year in 2019 and is one of our columnists, so we'd like to say a big congratulations to her. You can also catch her at Rewired on the 4th of March, so make sure you're there. And it's not the only appointment we've been waiting on. We're still waiting to hear who the Chief Information Officer will be. We're told an announcement is coming through soon, so hopefully by the next podcast we'll have a story on that for you. And of course, speaking of appointments, Matt Hancock has retained his position as Health Secretary in the Cabinet reshuffle earlier this month, uh, but Baroness Nicola Blackwood, who is the Minister of Innovation and Technology, has decided to step down. So now on to some of our big stories of the month. US company Epic has reportedly told its customers that it will not be working with Google Cloud. Instead, reps have told customers that the company will focus its energies on Amazon Web Services and Microsoft Azure. Hannah, you wrote the story on this one. Why do you think this has gained so much interest with our readers? Well, I think the story is interesting for a few reasons. I think, firstly, the fact that it involves two big names in the space. So you have Epic and Google, um, the latter obviously being one of the biggest kind of tech giants in sort of the world at the moment. The details are a bit thin. It comes from a CNBC report in America. It's obviously out in America, but I think it's interest over here um, because sometimes it reflects, you know, maybe what the attitudes are over here. Um, not much is known, um, but it hints that maybe Google may be falling out of favour with some people. Um, the reasons given um, by the story was that there was just they didn't see there was much appetite for Google in the market. So it appears that there's much more of a preference for things like Amazon Web Services and Microsoft Azure products. So I think that's why it's been particularly interesting. Um, obviously, like I said before, it's something that's happened in America, but it's, we haven't really seen much over here from that, but it could be maybe reflecting of things to come. Um, but in terms of Epic, um, they've also been in the news with some other reasons as well, which I'm sure John will be able to explain um, in a bit more detail. Yeah, I mean, Epic can kind of like news, whatever they do. Uh, so stick Epic in a headline and it generally does um, pretty well. I think just going back to that kind of Google kind of um, story, I mean, Google's another one. You stick Google in the headline, does well. Um, but for me, this was really about kind of the onward kind of uh, march of AWS um, continuing to kind of um, just kind of steamroller over just about everything. Um, and I wonder whether in the kind of um, you know, in the kind of cloud kind of um, hosting is really where Google want to play now. If you look at their acquisition of Fitbit um, the end of last year, um, if you look at kind of like their big plays in AI. I think that's where their kind of strengths kind of really kind of play out. Don't get me wrong, you know, you get the kind of um, AWS and Azure type business kind of right, um, it's extremely attractive, but I'm not sure that's where kind of Google's um, strengths kind of um, appear to kind of lie. In terms of Epic um, um, going kind of head to head with um, with the kind of federal government in, in the US, 
Um, you've got to think that they're kind of spectacularly kind of badly advised um, to kind of appear to be on the wrong side of the interoperability debate. Um, so for folks not being kind of um, following it closely, um, you have um, the um, federal government of the US has introduced legislation which is now reaching the final kind of um, drafting of, of, of the kind of laws. Um, and it's essentially, it's making it kind of um, much more difficult for companies to um, not enable interoperability within healthcare. And there's penalties associated with that. And Judy Faulkner, um, the founder and CEO of Epic, impressive character in many ways, um, has expressed concerns that, um, that opening up interoperability um, will see a whole bunch of app um, providers getting access to patients' data, and some of them don't have a great track record. And I think this is a legitimate concern. Um, I think where, where I've, um, um, you can extend that is that the concern is that the big platform pairs like Google, like Facebook, like Amazon, are the ones that probably ultimately benefit if you really open up um, the market. So, you know, the suspicion is that the Judy and Epic are crime um, foul, um, and it's their commercial interests which um, are kind of um, a play here. Um, but are they right that opening up the market might have unintended consequences if you have true interoperability? Probably yes. Yeah, I mean, there were some concerns mentioned about where the data would end up, and I think third-party apps are one of the things that were mentioned, and there's already issues with that um, in the market, with yeah. apps not being clear about how they're using patient data. So I, I can kind of see their um, concerns there, but on the other hand, you know, interoperability is what we're working towards, so it does seem a bit bizarre that such a massive IT supplier is saying, actually, we don't agree with what you're doing here. I mean, it was a big, big story. I think it's kind of set to kind of run around. We've got um, HIMSS, the big kind of US kind of show in the space is coming up um, in March. Um, generally, there's one or two kind of news things which dominate that show. I suspect this again is going to be kind of center stage. Um, for us here in the UK, okay, it's good fun. I mean, we have similar suppliers and um, the debates are kind of, um, you know, very kind of familiar. But what, what's noticeable is that the kind of interoperability kind of wars have really heated up the last couple of years in, in the US. And um, it does feel that it's a bit tepid over here, um, what's happening on interoperability, where we seem to be kind of going over the same old ground. Um, NHSX, you know, making appointments, gradually kind of, um, kind of building out the team. Um, you know, are they gonna get serious about interoperability in a way that we, we've not really seen for a while over here? Hopefully. Because <laughs> I was going to say that, you know, this is very US-based. Do you think this is eventually going to have a knock-on effect in the UK? It's a great question, Andrew. Um, I think, the kind of, for me, the, kind of, the thing that really kind of, um, the kind of informs this is that we've got almost exactly the same suppliers. You look at the kind of hospital space, the big EMR vendors, it's pretty much the same lineup. You know, Epic, Cerner, um, okay, we've got kind of UK kind of... Um, specific with system C and IMS but you know it's Epic and um, Cerner and all scripts um, and that are really been kind of making the running so I think where the US leads on this um, will definitely have an impact um, here in the UK and I'm surprised actually there haven't been kind of um, a stronger voice um, so far calling for some um, regimen of um, either penalties or some regimen of kind of um, calling out kind of um, data blockers um, it's, um, again, it'd be interesting to see where NHSX goes on this. Yeah, I mean, Hancock's obviously threatened the 
you know, if suppliers aren't interoperable, uh, interoperable, sorry, that, you know, they won't work with them. But it's, like you said, it all seems to be very veiled threats, kind of not really much, you know, being done about it. And I was going to say, sort of, the kind of, there was also reports that came up with Epic that they were even going to join a lawsuit. So, you know, this is how serious that they were potentially thinking of taking it. Whereas, you know, you know Hancock's not going to maybe take these supplies to court. But I thought it was, that's probably more interesting, kind of, that they were willing to go that far. Potentially, it would be a great story if you did, though. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I think I think the um, MSNBC has kind of like been kind of pretty hot on kind of its epic kind of um, stories for a while. That they've clearly got some good sources, and they, they said that they backtrack on that one pretty quickly. And um, the um, that you know how, how serious they are. Hancock, um, who's here for you know continues to be Secretary of State for Health, um, and seems to be immune to reshuffles no matter what happens. Um, he loves interoperability. Um, time for him to get on and do something about it, I'd say. Yeah, well hopefully he's listening so he knows what to do. <laughs> um, so we've also had yet another announcement coming through from the Department of Health and Social Care this month. It seems like they're on an announcement frenzy at the moment. Uh, they announced £140 million for an artificial intelligence fund. Uh, it will be run by the Accelerated Access Collaborative in partnership with NHSX um, and will basically form part of the National AI Lab announced by the government last year. Uh, it was launched by Matt Hancock last month and it will be awarded to companies who demonstrate that their AI has the potential to save lives and also free up staff time. Um, so, you know, we've, we've seen a lot coming out about AI at the moment, but I think there's a bit of a risk that we're focusing on things that are very far away in the future really are not focusing on the basics. What, what are you guys thinking about that? I think it's showing signs that the NHS, whether it's NHS England or NHS X, is looking to work with these companies and encourage these kind of startups, these other companies to kind of work with the NHS. Um, it's something that a lot of startups have kind of expressed concerns about. They don't know how to kind of make the move into the NHS, whether it's you know post-pilot stages and those things. I think on that side it's really encouraging. It's a lot of money, so it's part of this 250 million AI lab, so it's a large chunk of it, so it's 140 million. Um, but I think AI can unlock a lot of issues um, within the NHS, whether it's automation, you know, analysis, AI sort of scanning, um, MRI scans, those kind of things, flagging up problems. I think AI's got a lot of potential. Um, but when you kind of compare to a lot of other projects, sort of like with the logins, AI does seem to be getting a lot, a lot of attention, yeah. um, whether it's just because they think it's going to grab the headlines, you know, people are probably more going to want to read about AI than logins. I mean, not necessarily our readers, I know, but um, you know, AI is this shiny word at the moment that everyone seems to have some form of AI coming out. So that's kind of what I think. Yeah, and there's a bit of chatter about, you know, why we're focusing on the big shiny things when there are so many hospitals and so many trusts that still lack the basics and they need the help in building those foundations in order to implement good digital solutions and they're not at a stage where AI is going to help them yet. Um, there's also um, you know, the, the argument around patient data. We need good, you know, rich sources of patient data to inform the AI that we're using, uh, which I think the lab was going to look into. But based on all the data sharing stories we've done recently, particularly around um, what seemed like secretive meetings about how to create a single repository of patient data. Um, it, people get very nervous when patient data is involved and I don't think we've quite worked out how we're going to bring it all together yet to inform all of these big AI projects that we're going to be funding. 
it kind of feels like a chicken and egg situation and I'm not sure which one's the chicken and which one's the egg, but something's got to come first and I don't know if we're necessarily focusing on the right one. I, I think, I mean, off a slightly different kind of view on it, it's, um, it's not an either-or. Um, I think, um, and as we've gone through and continue to kind of go through um, the automation based on digitization of kind of healthcare, then the, the, the game and the focus shifts and it focuses um, far more on what you can do with the data, how you can derive benefit and insight from the data that's become available. And there's vast quantities of kind of um, health data now available. And, and it's completely kind of in that space, I think the AI part kind of um, fits. You know, how can you do increasingly sophisticated things with the data um, and, and generate new insights and services that you couldn't do previously? But whilst you're doing that, there's also a whole load of really boring kind of nuts and bolts networks, aging desktops, um, single sign-on, of course, which we spoke about kind of last time, and you need to do both. I don't think it's kind of either or. Um, although, you know, as we've spoken about kind of a, a news meetings, God almighty, we're at peak AI hype. We've had, um, you know, we've had press releases come into the digital health news desk on AI staff rostering solutions, um, AI door opening solutions. And I think, you know, if we're occasionally getting kind of a little bit cynical about AI, um, and we, we are geeks when it comes to this stuff, then, you know, God help the poor old kind of um, IT directors and CIOs out there who are constantly getting kind of, um, you know, um, sold kind of promises of AI nirvana. What I will say is the corrective to that, though, is we've just come off the back of, um, of judging the, um, the um, Pitchfest um, entries, which is our startup competition as part of kind of um, Rewired. And we had the last 16 um, doing their kind of practice sessions um, this week. About half of them are AI um, as part of what they're doing. And they're awesome. I mean, the applications and use of AI in healthcare are phenomenal. So although you know, tech is a sector which tends to hype things to kind of a ludicrous degree, um, I think AI um, is here for keeps. Is it going to be the stuff that kind of politicians find so kind of fascinating? Um, maybe, maybe not. Um, but I suspect we'll be talking about AI for a long time to go. But we can do some amazing things, and it already is. Like in Moorfields Eye Hospital, uh, I think there's a, a sort of in East Midlands, I think, they're using it to detect breast cancer. It is going to do some really, really amazing things, so it's exciting that we're focusing on it. Do you think it says anything, though, that the AI award got 140 million and the announcement for logins only got 40 million? Um, it's a big difference there. Well, I mean, going back to kind of hard-bitten cynic who's kind of seen a lot of kind of big money announcements um, that tend to kind of get re-announced and re-announced, uh, the kind of data um, and AI kind of lab stuff that's been announced and actually I think it's been announced about three times um, already. Um, so let, let's see some delivery and it's with the accelerated access um, people. Um, but, you know, there, there is a ton of interest and investment going into this. Um, and I think the kind of bigger players, they probably don't need kind of additional kind of um, sources of um, investment from the government. There's a ton of kind of, um, you know, private investment kind of going in um, as well. Um, huge range of issues, um, you know, that hang off the back of it on how you use the data, what um, data and algorithms um, proprietary with the IP sets. Um, so I think, you know, this is going to keep us in use for a long time to come. Yeah. Um, going back to the actual delivery of projects, um, something, uh, the first report that's come out of this lab so far since it was launched, um, 
basically said that 20 developers uh, are confident that their AI will be ready to implement within the next year. Um, and that was an NHSX report. Uh, it also said that a further 70 said that they're going to be ready to go within five years, but we've not actually heard anything since. So I, I don't know if this is linked to the award, if these people are able to apply for the award. Um, so we, uh, yeah, there's, I think there's loads of interest. We just haven't really heard any announcements of what they're going to be focusing on, if they've got any de like developers that they're actually working with at the moment. Have you heard any chatter, John? I think kind of you know one of the kind of um, things that we saw in the early days of kind of um, Google and kind of health was that the, the kind of normal laws of gravity didn't seem to apply, and I think a return to the norm whereby the same standards and the same kind of um, tests um, on shows the evidence, whether peer-reviewed um, journal articles, um, you know, publish and the studies on, on benefits and. To their credit in particular, you know, Google, who have been kind of um, leading the kind of way on this, um, have begun to do that. IBM similarly, um, you know, have got sort of good stuff um, out there. So I think the way that you kind of address many of the kind of um, questions that you're asking, Andrea, is just as you would with a medical device or um, a new drug, um, is, um, you know, do the research, publish the studies, get the data out there. Um, so if any of our listeners are actually AI developers, your deadline to apply for this grant is the 4th of March. You've only got one week left to submit your application if you would like a share of that money. Um, on to more news from NHSX. Uh, they have started looking into setting a minimum spend on technology. Uh, and they're currently working with providers to determine if it should be mandated across trusts. It's also working with NHS England and NHS Improvement to determine what the level of funding should be in order to achieve full use of digital tech in the health service by 2024. Uh, this came from new NHS planning guidance, which also revealed NHSX will be setting out its approach for mandating technology, security and data standards within the coming months. I think they said early 2021 will be the date for that. Um, they'll also be setting out what good looks like, so providers can be working towards this by 2024. This is something that gained quite a lot of interest from our readers um, and on social media as well. Uh, Hannah, you ran a poll on this, so do you want to tell us what the results were for that? Yeah, so we ran a poll, I think it lasted for about a week. Um, thank you for everyone who was listening who took part. Um, so a total of 190 people voted and we asked readers and whether they agreed with this plan and whether they think minimum level should be introduced or is it or should be an idea they explored sorry um, in order to achieve the full use of digital technology and um, so of that's 131 which works out roughly about 69 percent so about more than two-thirds agreed that this was the right way forward and um, with the rest of 31 percent disagreeing and um, so it kind of shows that there is a sort of strong um, support for it but there is still sort of about a third of people that wouldn't like to see it happen. Um, and it kind of attracted a lot of really good comments um, on the site. So we had people talking about, it has to be about outcomes and capabilities. It can't be about specific percentage or turnover. Um, you know, questions about whether some trusts are more advanced than others um, and those sort of things. Um, the idea about having a core set of digital capabilities that, um, that trusts have to achieve in a certain period. So rather set them targets rather than kind of these minimum spends was what was also discussed. Um, and another thing which was big was having sort of this idea of clear standards. So setting out what people, well, what trust, sorry, um, they should and could be achieved. And you know, this um, has to start with things like leadership teams, better benefits, 
um, you know, supporting every organisation, making sure they've got digital on the board. I think you know, readers are saying that maybe this is a good start, but there are kind of other issues as well that need to be done to support this. And maybe it's not just about you know, pointing the finger at a trust and saying you must spend you know, X, Y, Z percent yeah. on a trust. You know, you've also got to kind of support them in that in that kind of transformation as well. Yeah, because I think that would work for all of the trusts that have a basic knowledge of technology and already have a lot of digital solutions in place. But for those that don't and need help in terms of, you know, what to buy and what to use, just telling them to spend a, a lot of money is, um, I, yeah, I think there's a risk that it will be spent on something that might not necessarily provide the returns that they want in the long run. So just an offer, kind of, um, you know, um, the voice of experience, having been covering the sector for the best part of two decades now. Um, NHS spending um, on IT has stubbornly and historically remained significantly lower than almost any other kind of sector. So we, we currently kind of have figures that suggest it's around one, one and a half percent of turnover of most organisations. There's some exceptions, there's some outliers. Um, and I think, you know, saying thou must double your spending on IT from the centre, um, it is a bit kind of naive, to be honest. Um, I think the problem is, is that there hasn't been enough money. You both need to up local investment and you need to significantly up national investment. Um, and we haven't seen any really significant national investment um, in almost a decade. So the last time we had it was um, during the kind of MP Fit era, and I don't want to rehash that, um, but you know, roughly it was a billion pounds of national IT investment in NHS um, technology on an annual basis. That's on decade and a half ago. Um, I think you know a serious kind of um, you know uplift in digital capabilities across the NHS, accelerating kind of adoption um, of technologies to enable us to achieve those objectives of the long-term plan. You've got to be looking at minimum of the sort of level that we achieved 15 years ago, and then I think in addition to that, you probably can realistically start to kind of um, you know um, get provider organisations and ICSs to get up to kind of three, three and a half percent of turnover on, um, on technology investment. But I think fundamentally, that underinvestment colours almost all aspects of national policy in IT we've seen in recent years. I mean, the GDE programme <coughs> was um, essentially, how do you ration money? You've got to target the money at the top tier rather than give everyone a tiny kind of thin slice of it. Now we're seeing the um, pendulum swing back, um, with the digital aspirin program, and whoops, we've left behind a whole bunch of um, organizations because we prioritized over here, now let's prioritize over here. Now, you know, it doesn't take a genius to think that we'll probably see the pendulum swing back again in another three, four years. So I think we have to raise the tide so everyone's boat floats rather than just pick a, another kind of set of winners, although, you know, clearly they want more winners, but, you know, to achieve the systemic kind of transformation of health and care through digital is going to take some really serious investment, the likes of which is missing at the moment. Yeah. I mean, on the Digital Aspirant programme, all we've heard so far is the announcement that it's going to be going forward. We haven't had any announcement on funding or how much is going to be available for these trusts that uh, eventually come onto this programme. All we know so far is that it's going to be there's going to be funding available in the next financial year, so from April, um, and it's not going to be split equally across trusts. So I'm assuming that they have to apply for 
uh, a certain amount of funding. Um, but John, you're probably more of an expert on this than I am. Is there a risk that some trusts will still get left behind if they don't get all the, like they don't get the money that they need? I don't think you can do it for trusts. I mean, to go back to the national program, one of the problems with that is it was something that was being done unto organisations. Uh, you know, it was being parachuted. It was alien to their culture. It wasn't based out of kind of local kind of leadership. And I think one of the things that is very positive that has changed is we've seen a real kind of rise in the kind of calibre of kind of local kind of digital leaders. They're much more coherent. They're much more developed. They kind of share from each other. And, you know, to blow our own trumpet, we've contributed to that kind of um, happening, as have many others. Um, so I, I don't think that um, you can take away that responsibility from local organisations. Some um, organisations are poor on digital because they're not very good. Um, that's, you know, an unpalatable truth. Yeah? I think those that are in the middle, where they are really trying and they are kind of um, achieving remarkable things with very little, that's the ones I would target resources on at the moment. Yeah, um, those that are kind of right at the back of the pack and frankly haven't helped themselves, um, you probably need solutions more like kind of um, them merging or becoming part of federations in some different way. Um, and you know, it's easy for us to say that um, we're not kind of um, you know trying to kind of um, make the books balance uh, or deal with structural deficits or some horrible PFI deal that's burdening the trust forever. Um, but um, Yes, there should be criteria that, that kind of um, you, you have to achieve to get kind of investment. Yeah? But I think the fundamental problem remains that there simply isn't a high enough level of investment across the piece. So we're trying to slice a too small a pie too many ways at the moment. So in terms of going back to what you were saying about you know these local leaders and all these people that are probably in our networks, do you think that this kind of transformation has to come from the ground upwards rather than kind of from the top saying you must spend this money do you think it's got to be kind of uh you know grown you know sort of organically rather than kind of being told what to In, do encouraged rather than yeah. mandated yeah you, you need to be both i mean i think you know the where the nhsx kind of developments very encouraging is you're beginning to see kind of um this idea that people like um, natasha coming in as the new national the law the new the first national cnio um and Simon Eccles as the um, national CCIO, they're beginning to talk about them as heads of profession. So they will be the national leader um, on digital nursing leadership or CCIO. And I think that type of concept where you're building um, a capability and, um, and support for people to go and do those kind of um, hard yards in their organization, but with the support of a wider profession around them, I think that's a very important part of it. I think NHSX kind of, um, you know, it, it's kind of um, stated ambitions to kind of focus on standards, to help remove some of the barriers on, on commercial contracting. These are all sensible steps. Um, they've got to be delivered, but um, they are sensible steps. Um, the, I mean, there's a ton of stuff to kind of work um, through, and I think doing a few simple things well would be a really kind of really good place for NHSX. And, it was noticeable on, on the kind of um, on the kind of Matthew Golden podcast that Andrea did. Um, the thing he kept talking about, at least struck me, was um, he kept talking about people. We've got to invest in people, and you know, you know, three cheers for that. Yeah, I mean, you can't just come in and say you need to use this technology if the people that will be using it and be implementing it don't know how. Well, it's the old ads, You know, technology is simple. It's yeah. the people and the change that's the difficult um, piece. And I think it was ever thus, but. 
you know, God isn't true in the health service. You know, these are really complicated um, organisations. Um, you know, delivering care um, under real stress. Um, you know, and and it's an amazing tough job. It definitely is. Uh, well, that almost brings us to the end of our time. But before I wrap up, John, I want to hand over to you to talk about Rewired, which is now one week away. So, what's going on? Well, I'm glad you asked me that. Thank you very much. Um, so, Digital Health Rewired, the most exciting health IT event of the year, bringing together um, the very best of um, NHS IT today um, with tomorrow's future digital leaders, startups, disruptive innovation, might even be a bit of AI in the mix there as well, um, is um, 3rd and 4th of March um, at um, Olympia National. Um, third is the Leadership Summit, um, and we're just about full on that, so that's the Leadership Summit for um, members of the networks. And then the fourth is the uh, main event, um, it's the Expo, um, it's our conference, exhibition. Um, we have something like 150 speakers across seven tracks, we have the new Data Lab, we have the new Health Developer Conference. We have keynotes galore, our keynotes include Matthew Gould, um, Sarah Wilkinson, Caroline Criado-Perez. Um, we've got some truly, truly great sessions. Um, come and take part. If you haven't registered already, um, registration is still open. You can register right up to the evening before, and then you can come on the day still and sign up on the day. So one last time, um, Digital Health Rewired at um, digitalhealthrewired.com. 3rd and 4th of March, we hope to see you there. All right, so there you have it on Rewired, and also make sure you tune back into the podcast in two weeks' time to hear from a panel discussion that will be held at Rewired and hosted by me. Thank you so much for listening, guys. Don't forget, we are also now on Spotify and Apple Podcasts and iTunes, and you can also tune in when we publish a story on the website.